Good morning, Mill City Church. Good morning. No, I didn't wear the same shirt again. So, uh, anyway, how many of you guys were here for Pack the Pack yesterday? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I've got some statistics for you. So, uh, last year we had 80 families that we served. We did 60 haircuts. Uh, Three years ago was the first time that we ever did Pack the Pack, and we had 24 students sign up. And this year we had over 240 students sign up. And... Yeah, that's awesome. And we, we prepared over 80 backpacks for just people who walked in who might have missed registration, and most of those are gone. So that, praise the Lord for that. That is awesome. We provided 71 haircuts, and uh, I, I get the privilege of walking around with the camera as part of the creative team. So I got to see a little bit of everything yesterday, and it was so awesome getting to see the church be the church, the church be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And let me tell you, if you, if you were a part of Pack the Pack, whether it was uh, through a financial donation or just giving of your time uh, for the stylists who gave up their, their time and their talent uh, to bless these kids or whatever you may have done, we have no idea this side of eternity, the impact that you had on each and every one of, of those kids' lives. So I just want to say thank you. I want to, uh, on, on behalf of the church, on behalf of uh, everyone involved, I want to say thank you. Um, I do want to reiterate again, if you're new here, or if you're not new here, but especially if you're new here, we are glad that you're here. We are excited to have you here this morning, and I believe that God has a word for each and every one of us here. So uh, thank you to everyone who helped with Pack the Pack. We believe that we are saved to serve, and we, are, we believe we're blessed to be a blessing. So let's go ahead and dive into the text this morning. We're picking up Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, you would, you would use this passage to reveal more about yourself to us, Lord, that we would walk out of here knowing you better, not just knowing more about you, not just knowing facts about history, but knowing the creator of the universe. Lord, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, if this is your first time here at Mill City or maybe in church altogether, I want to give you a little bit of background on where we're at today. We are in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. It is the first of four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry found in what's called the New Testament, essentially the second section of the Bible. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and these, these four 
Accounts of Jesus' life and ministry are often called the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each named after their author. And because each Gospel is written through a certain individual to a certain audience, each one has, has some different emphases, de- emphasizes different points or messages. And at, at face value, that could sound like a contradiction, but they complement each other, really. What it does is we've got different reference points in the four different Gospels of Jesus, and it serves to flesh out, give us a more well-rounded view of who he was, who he is, and what he is like. Matthew was written, if, if you've been with us for a while, you've heard probably ad nauseum now, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Right? It was written to convey the message that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the God King. He is God with us. And Trendon kicked off chapter 8 a couple weeks ago with verses 1 through 17. We, we see Matthew chapter 8 opens up with three miracles. There's a trio of miracles, and uh, we see Jesus heal three different individuals. And he mentioned, trying to mention the, the structure here in Matthew, we see a trio of miracles followed by a call to discipleship. Three miracles, follow me. Three miracles, follow me. And we can be dazzled by the miraculous. We can, we can be blown away by the amazing things God did at Pack the Pack. We can be blown away by the amazing and miraculous things that God did at kids and youth camp, but we can miss the amazing and miraculous things that God wants to do inside of us the work that he wants to do inside of us that he wants to accomplish if we miss that call to follow. So Eric unpacked last week the cost of discipleship. So we give up our rights, which is a a difficult thing to hear here in America. No matter which side of the aisle you're on, everybody's fighting for their rights. We give up our privacy. Ultimately, we give up the lordship of our own life. This week, we see the first of that second trio of miracles. Again, Matthew's showing us Jesus as Messiah. If you don't believe me, we'll just start at verse 1 of chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And then if we skip to the end of the book, it ends with Jesus' great commission to the disciples, beginning in verse 18, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me," Jesus says. So throughout these 28 chapters, Jesus is displaying his authority as Messiah. He's he's showing all of us his authority as Messiah. So after Jesus' baptism, he's led into the wilderness, the Bible says, to be tempted by the devil. And before he ever begins his ministry, he establishes his authority over sin. Now this this is critically important because if Jesus sins, then the atonement doesn't work. If Jesus had sinned, then forgiveness of sin isn't, that's not on the table. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and he died as the perfect sacrifice to cover our sin. Praise the Lord for that. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And I would make, I would submit to you 
that the same holds true if Jesus had sinned. So he establishes his authority over sin. He is tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. Then after calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. We were, we were in the Sermon on the Mount here for several weeks. It's, it's a, a very large chunk of scripture, and you, rem- you may remember how it ends in chapter 7, starting in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Now, Ashley unpacked this, this passage for us, and she did a great job of explaining just how significant and why this is significant. So Jesus had the authority not just to repeat the law, but to interpret it. See, he, he gives a, a series of statements. You've heard it said blank, but I tell you blank. So, for example, you've heard it said, don't murder, right? You've heard it said, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Then in verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus, he's not just repeating the words. He's actually expanding them. He's, he's establishing his authority over the law. Now again, that authority was not to, not to abolish the law. He says in, in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to abolish, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So in, in that Sermon on the Mount, he's showing us what it means to actually fulfill the law, to actually walk out the law and the prophets. Three weeks ago, we saw Jesus establish his authority over sickness and disease in that first set of miracles, and today we see him establish his authority over the physical, over the natural world. Let's read it again, starting in verse 24. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, it says the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's really, it's a lake. It sits below sea level, and it's in a pretty mountainous terrain. And because of that, it had a pretty volatile and tumultuous weather environment. So, you, so you'd have pretty sudden and violent storms similar to the one that we see here in the passage. And keep in mind, the boat is being piloted by very competent fishermen. This is their job to be on the lake. They, they make their living on the lake. They're familiar with the weather environment, the, the weather patterns, and they're afraid for their life. So this is, this is a legit storm. And I think it's funny when, 
when the fishermen are afraid for their life, they cry out to the carpenter from Nazareth, who, if, I mean, I'm not, I've never been to Israel, I'm not overly familiar with the terrain, but Nazareth is, it's out in the hill country, and it's a full day's walk to the lake, so for all we know, Jesus had very little practical experience piloting a boat, so they're like, help, please, and he's asleep, so so, some of you guys are like, how could he be asleep at a time like this? Like, how could Jesus have fallen asleep in the middle of a storm? And I know exactly how he could have fallen asleep in the middle of the storm. I'm sure the disciples are thinking what you are, like, how could he be asleep? But he's been doing ministry. Like, I'm going to be taking a nap after service today. And, and I'm gonna, I'll have preached for probably a total of an hour and 20 minutes. And I drove here. I'm going to drive home, and they're mountainous, hilly terrain. They're, they're walking everywhere. He's surrounded by thousands of people clamoring to, to get to him, and he's, he's healing people. He's preaching for a lot of this time, and so he's tired. Like I mentioned the, the crowds around him. He's, people are clamoring to get to him. I get overwhelmed at my life group sometimes. Like, we've got six to 12 people on any given week, and sometimes I just need, I just need a moment of quiet. And we're a young group, and so we can be rowdy. I can be rowdy. And it's not that I don't love my life group. I love my people. But sometimes I just need a moment of quiet. And there have been times, Ashley may have shared this from the stage before, but I'll be, I'll get a little bit overwhelmed, and all of a sudden she'll look around, and I won't be there. And she's like, where is Michael? So she'll like go looking for me and she'll either find me in our bedroom folding laundry or in the laundry room folding laundry because it's just like, this is my happy place. And one time, one time in particular, she, she checked the laundry room and opened the door and it didn't open all the way because it hit me because I was sitting on the floor in the laundry room in the dark, just taking in the quiet for a, for a moment. And so... So, like, I get how Jesus could have zonked out. Like, I, I, get, I get that. Uh, but you might be thinking, all right, I get how he fell asleep. But, like, how could he stay asleep with the, the boats rocking around and everybody's afraid for their life? And uh, I understand how he could stay asleep, too, because when I was in high school, a I, I, little background, I could sleep through, like, a train driving through my house. Uh, I would sleep with my phone right here, and I had the, the obnoxious alarm, not the like nice like xylophone one or whatever. I had the, the like bah, 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 one that'll wake anybody up, and I'd, I'd fall asleep. I'm on the second floor over here. My dad would be sleeping on the first floor opposite corner of the house, and my alarm would wake him up. He would get up, walk upstairs, wake me up because I, I completely slept through it. So pray for my wife because she has to deal with that today. But more than, more than all of that, I think, um, I think the reason why Jesus could have slept at a time like that is because he was fully, completely confident in the will of the Father. He just got done in the Sermon on the Mount teaching, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. I'm sure he wasn't worried about the weather. And I think we get a, 
a very clear, I think it makes it very clear in, in the next verse when he says, he rebukes, before he rebukes the wind and the waves, he rebukes his disciples saying, you have little faith. Because he just got done. Like, you remember how much more, how much more, how much more will your father in heaven take care of you? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Because you have a heavenly father who loves you and is going to look after you. And now they're, help us, we're going to die. Right? So you have little faith. Jesus was fully confident he had complete faith in the will of the father in that moment. Now, I could, I could try to turn this into an analogy for the storm in your life, like the, the, the wind and the waves of your life where things are going poorly and, and Jesus is just asleep on the boat and you just got to wake him up and he'll, he'll get up and he'll fix the problem. He'll stop the storm for you. But that is not, that's not the point of this story. That's not to say that, that Jesus isn't with us in, in the troubles of life. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We know that God is with us when we walk through storms and trials in life. But Matthew's not saying Jesus is with you in the storms of life in this story. No, the point of this story is that Jesus is Lord over the earth. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. When we look at how this happens, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, the, the Greek word for rebuke is epitimeo, in case you were, you were curious. It underscores Jesus' authority over the winds and the waves. And I'm, I'm going to take a quick tangent here. I promise it, it at least kind of relates, but I, I used to, or I still kind of wonder, but like, why did Jesus come when he did? Like maybe you've, you've wondered like, okay, why did God pick 2,000 years ago? And I'm, I'm not going to say that I have the answer, but I think there are a couple different reasons. I was listening to a message from Pastor Levi Lusco, who he pastors a church out in Montana, and he was talking about the four loves that we see in the Greek New Testament. Uh, you may have heard of the four loves, but he ended up on the same tangent, so I'm going to kind of piggyback off of, off of what he had shared. But bear with me because I, was, I loved history. Like We invited one teacher to our wedding, and that was my AP European history teacher because like that is my thing. I love it. So if you're a math and science person, just bear with me. I promise I think this is very interesting, so I promise that you might also find it interesting. But if we take it back to 350 or like mid-300s BC, Alexander the Great, you may have heard of him. He conquered a vast empire in the Mediterranean, including Israel. As a child, he was tutored or like mentored by Aristotle, also a name you've probably heard before. And so young Alexander grew to love like medicine and science and philosophy and culture. And when his dad, Philip, which uh, Philip of Macedonia, Philippi, as in the Paul's letter to the Philippians, that's 
that city is named after Alexander the Great's dad. So when, when Philip dies, Alexander takes the reins of Macedonia, he expands the empire, and as the Greek empire grows, he brings his culture with him. So Greek culture spreads, Hellenistic culture spreads, and with that spreads the Greek language. And that is the language through which God chose to give us the New Testament. So why is that, why is that important? Why did God choose to give us through the New Testament through Greek? Well, not only was this language now international, but the Greek language is one of the most specific languages of, in like human history. So for a word like love, we have the word love. We got one word, and I love my wife, I love this church, I love my dog, I love spaghetti, I love pickleball now. I, that's new. I do, I, I now love pickleball. Um, I also love lamp, so, but I don't love spaghetti like I love my wife. I don't love my wife like I love my dog. Like, there's, there are different levels, there's different connotations depending on the context, but in Greek there are four different words for love, each with their own set of connotations. So when we read that word in the New Testament, we don't have to guess what it means. We don't have to guess what they meant by that. So back to, back to history, back in uh, 146 BC, so BC works backwards to the point of Jesus. So 146 BC, about 200 years later, Alexander the Great has, has passed away and the Greek empire falls in the battle of Corinth, letters to the Corinthians, the battle of Corinth, they fall to the Roman Republic. And uh, at this point, Rome actually adopts a lot of Greek culture, like Greek culture stays ingrained in society, but Rome brings with them Roman infrastructure. So you, you may have heard the, the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Roman infrastructure, their roads were state-of-the-art for the time. Like they were, they were ahead of their time. They also brought with them, you may have learned about this in, in history class, the Pax Romana. So that's Latin for Roman peace. And essentially when Rome would, would conquer new territory, they would institute essentially martial law and they would put people in place, they would put rulers in place, they would police their land, it protected from infighting, it protected from revolution, but ultimately, in, in this context, what we're talking about today, the most important part of that was that it was now safer than ever to travel because you didn't have to worry about like warring tribes, warring city-states in the land. So not only could the apostles teach and write the gospels and the epistles in an international common tongue that was powerfully specific, but they could now also travel more safely and quickly than ever before, and the gospel spread like wildfire. Now, we could, we could delve deeper into this rabbit hole, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it right there, and we'll, we'll move on. But I hope that you have a, at least a little bit more appreciation for ancient Greek uh, so back to rebuke, epitimeo. If you look into it, a lot of Greek words are, most of Greek words, I think, are compound words, which 
Uh, our words made up of more than one word combined together. So epi, the prefix here, is uh, on its own, it means on or above. Timeo, actually, a lot of times it's used as the word honor, but what it means is to uh, measure or assign value. So when we put these words together, epi as a prefix serves to emphasize the suffix. So timeo, in this case, being to assign value to a particular situation or its outcome. So rebuking is, in this case, to assign value to a situation or its outcome. And um, it's not necessarily saying stop. Like rebuke doesn't just mean to say stop. Oftentimes it's a stern warning against the consequences of a behavior or, or action. But it's also translated as censure. So I had to, I had to Google that word because we don't use that one in modern English outside of maybe a legal setting. But what it is is it's a formal uh, expression of severe disapproval for a person or a, a thing. So when we see Jesus rebuke the winds and the waves, he rebukes the winds and the waves, he expresses his disapproval, and they stop. Jesus is, expresses disapproval for the winds and the waves, and it is completely calm. This event is, it's actually strikingly similar to a scene we see in Psalm 107. So it's, it's, it's actually a very beautiful psalm. If you want to read it on, on your own sometime this week, I would encourage that. But we're going to pick up in verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, that's Yahweh, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up on the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. That's a, it's a, not a flattering picture of the disciples here in Matthew. Then they cried out to the Lord, again, Yahweh, in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to Yahweh, and he stilled the sea. When, uh, when Jonah, in the book of Jonah, when his, his ship's crew are overwhelmed by a storm, they cry out to Jonah, the prophet, and Jonah cries out to Yahweh, and Yahweh stills the storm. But here in Matthew, it doesn't say that Jesus prayed to the Father to still the storm. No, it, it says Jesus, Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. As, uh, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, something even greater than Jonah is here. This is a sign of Jesus' divinity. Authority over the sea was a mark of the sovereignty of God himself. Again, for both Matthew and his Jewish audience, with the, the emphasis that that culture had on scripture memorization, they would have, it would have been a light bulb in their minds in this scene. They would have thought of Jonah. They would have thought of Psalm 107. And I think they would also have thought about Job 38. 
which uh, this is a graphic picture of God's sovereignty, of his authority. And if you're ever, if you're ever feeling a little bit too prideful, if you need some more humility in your life, I'd point, you can read Job 38 to 42, and it'll, it'll knock you down to, to your proper level, your, your place in the universe. So Job 38, he starts with, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. I can't help but read some sarcasm here. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Then after the foundation, he says, Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. So he starts very basic, well, basic. He lays the foundations of the earth. That's where we're starting. I laid the foundations of the earth and you weren't there. I know what I'm doing. And then the very next thing, this goes on for, for a few chapters where he lists all of these marks of his sovereignty. Number two is I told the sea where to stop. Authority over the sea was a mark of the sovereignty of God himself. Uh, my wife, Ashley, if you didn't know this about her, she loves Hebrew symbolism. So the, the, the joy that you see on her face when she talks about it up here, that is 100% authentic. She talks about it at home, too. I was going through my, my sermon points with her yesterday, and she was like, well, you know, the sea is very important symbolically in Hebrew culture. And I was like, I have heard you talk about this before. I know what you're talking about. And then uh, it wasn't in my message initially, but I decided to add it because I think it's super interesting, super cool. The sea was very important in Hebrew culture because they depended on it, right? They fish. Salt, their, their provision, their sustenance came from the sea, commerce. But it was also unpredictable. Like, like we see in Matthew chapter 8, it could be dangerous. They couldn't control it. They had no control over the sea. The, the ocean is going to do what it's going to do. And I can't change it. You can't change it. It's, we actually see a, a lot of the Bible has metaphors comparing God to the sea, like the depths, the depths of his love, the river of life, that, that sort of thing throughout the Bible. And God played a similar, obviously a grander role in the life of, of the Israelites. They relied on him, whether they chose to recognize it or not, they relied on him for provision, for sustenance. But they also had a very healthy fear of the Lord. And ultimately, God was the only one with control over the sea. We see multiple miracles where God, in the Old Testament, he, he parts the waters, he, he makes rain come down, he makes rain stop. Like God is the only one who can control the waters. 
they couldn't control the sea on their own. Ultimately, this, this miracle we see is a graphic illustration of Jesus' personal authority over creation as its creator. John chapter 1 says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God was, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And finally, verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus was not created. Jesus pre-existed time. He was with God in the beginning and without him, nothing was made that has been made. John spells it out very clearly for us. The worship team can come back up here. Matthew 14, just a few chapters later, after feeding the 5,000, it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Jesus got out of the boat Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm and they say, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? But by this point, they know, they've seen. This is the first time the, the disciples explicitly recognize Jesus as the Son of God. This is significant. As we continue to walk through the book of Matthew, we'll see this theme continued of Jesus' authority. Jesus will establish his authority over the spiritual. He'll establish his authority to forgive sin. And it won't be long. It, it might be long for us here because we're, we go verse by verse and it, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a while. But it won't be long before Jesus will be crucified. He'll be killed. But we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is raised on the third day establishing, displaying his authority over death, over the grave, over hell. Jesus is Lord of all. 
Jesus is Lord over all. He's Lord over sin. He's Lord over shame. He's Lord over sickness, over disease, over heaven and earth, over angels and demons, over death, grave, hell. He's Lord over all of it. He is Lord of all creation. But is he the Lord of your life? That's my question for you today. I can tell you whether you recognize it or not, he is. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Have you given him that authority over you? Have you given him that authority over you or are you trying to hold on to that title? Now, with, with every head bowed and every eye closed, have you accepted that call to follow? Are you following with everything you've got or are there pockets of your life that you're, you're holding on to for yourself? Jesus gives us the most amazing opportunity. He invites us into eternal life. He invites us into an eternity spent worshiping and following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that starts now. That doesn't start when we die. It doesn't start when we get to heaven. We have the opportunity to follow, to worship today, to worship with our lives when we accept that call to discipleship. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but it's, it's my joy to do it now. I get, I get to call Jesus Lord today. I have the privilege, the opportunity to know him. I believe that God is calling all of us to follow him, just as he did with those unschooled, untrained fishermen 2,000 years ago who changed the course of history with the message and love of Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you've never made Jesus Lord over your life and you want to do that today, I want to pray with you. If you just raise your hand, I want to, I want to pray together. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Well, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while now, maybe even years, but there are areas of your life you've held back for yourself. You've given Jesus parts of your life. You've given him a place in your life, but you haven't given him the highest place in your life. And today he's calling you to lay it all down at his feet. He's calling you to deeper surrender, deeper commitment, deeper relationship. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. If you just raise your hand as well. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. There's nothing, there's nothing special about the prayer itself, but today we are we're putting that stake in the ground saying, I belong to Jesus. Jesus is Lord of my life. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to call you Lord. I thank you for that call. Follow me. Lord, I am all in today. Lord, I thank you for the authority that you hold. I thank you for the sinless life that you led. 
for the perfect sacrifice that you were to cover my sin. I thank you for the authority that you hold over death, over the grave, for the resurrection power that's in your name that you have invited us to participate in. Where right now, I acknowledge my shortcomings. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you delight in saving lost people. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, I'm leaving that behind. I, w- I was going this way, now I'm going this way. I'm following Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, but it's my joy to do it now. It's my joy to do it now. God, I thank you. I thank you. I praise you. I worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this out.